Hey, kick the music. Oh, <laughs> uh, uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Want to send a special shout out to Dan Coke, a friend who supports this podcast by letting us have access to all of his music. The man is killing it out there with creating fine music for fine businesses. And if you want to see more of what he's up to in that regard, you can go to dancoke.net. Coke spelled K-O-C-H. Welcome back, listeners. It's good to be back in your ears. Thanks for being a regular listener. Shoutouts to those of you that may be newer listeners. You can go to pastorwithnoanswers.com. There's ways of connecting with us on social media, and there's avenues for you to be a supporter of this podcast. Interestingly enough, the guest for today is co-host of a podcast that this podcast supports uh, by just giving a little bit of money every month. We can make the world go round and round together, my friends, by supporting the sorts of media that we consume regularly. And of all the podcasts that I dabble in, this is one that I listen to the most regularly. So thank you, Bible for Normal People. And thank you, Jared Bias, for being on the show today. want to send a special shout out to Michael Wilson, who has been supporting this podcast for a long time at actually a very high level. And I certainly appreciate it. And I also want to thank a relatively new supporter of this podcast. We are excited to have Eric Sackmar. Hopefully I said that right. If I didn't, I don't know how else to pronounce it, man. It's spelled S-A-K-M-A-R. But we're excited to have you a part of this crew as well, and I really do appreciate it. You guys have a good rest of the day, and enjoy this discussion with Jared Bias from Bible for Normal People. My name is Jared Bias, and you're listening to The Pastor With No Answers. All right, here with on The Pastor With No Answers, excited about today. I'm always excited about, you know, these episodes, though, or else I, I wouldn't do them. But I guess there would be, I don't know, there has been times where I've gone into a podcast episode, and I'm thinking, I probably shouldn't be doing this, and then I lie, and I say I'm excited. But this is not one of those. This is not one of those. Uh Believe it or not, I don't listen to a whole lot of podcasts, and for me, it's one of those things to where it's always, do I listen to music or podcasts, and I just love music so much, but when I do go through uh, podcast listening season, um, typically it's going to have a few episodes from Bible for Normal People, so thank you and your friend uh, Pete Inns, always a lot of good stuff. Um are, are you still enjoying podcasting? Do you have like uh, a yeah. you have a yeah, deeper so level of respect for people that do it because it's it's so easy to critique. People want to critique, you and you're like, you try it, then you try it. <laughs> yeah, you know, we we uh, we take a, a we we go to every other week in the summers. Yeah, and I'm learning that that's actually a really nice rhythm because oh, yeah. by May I'm like, oh, I'm done. I'm oh yeah, done. and then right about now I'm like, oh okay, I yep. can breathe. It feels pretty good. Yeah, so. yeah, for sure. Yeah, and I think it's 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 stuff too that people just don't even 
think to think about. Like it's, and, and, and I get it because I'm on the under, other end of it sometimes too. And I hear someone say something like, man, that was kind of jerky that they said it. But then on my side of things, it's like people don't realize, okay, not only are you having a conversation, but you're doing it in a way where you want other people to be entertained. You're doing it in a vibe where you hate hearing your voice in the first place. So just hearing your voice is driving you crazy. And everybody else thinks that you're just always trying to be cool or something. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, you're really putting yourself out there for some uh, shots below the belt. So good job with what you guys are, are doing. So you, from what I gather, it sounds like you and I are from similar places, uh, religious upbringing and, and all of that. But, uh, but remind me, maybe give us a snapshot of, you know, did you grow up in a Christian household? What sort of denomination? And, and then maybe lead us to um, when you started asking some major questions. Yeah, um, absolutely. So, Varied background, but the easiest way to say it probably is uh, my my dad was a born and bred Texan, grew yeah. up Southern Baptist, so I had a lot of Southern Baptist influence. And then my my grandmother on my mom's side, um, I'm, I'm Native American on my mom's side. She was an itinerant, uh, charismatic preacher, um, so she would travel around in a van and and do ministry and and preaching and a lot of speaking in tongues and yeah. and that kind of thing. Um, and so. Uh, yeah, I grew up with both of those backgrounds pretty heavily, and, and my parents were pretty explicit. They were intentional and said, hey, we feel like the Southern Baptists uh, do a good job of, of laying down a foundation and a, a simple and basic faith. And so yeah. we went to a Southern Baptist church for um, most of my like childhood, and then around age 10 or 11, we went to a more charismatic church uh, up until I was a teenager. And then through that, because uh, for my family, the way it was, was you get the basics from the Southern Baptists, and then when you're more mature, you mature into a charismatic faith. So that's how really. So, yeah. so and the Southern Baptists, they were not practicing speaking in tongues and oh, things no. like that, right? Mm-hmm. So, so they, know. so they, uh, uh, so maybe I heard you wrong. They, they don't see Pentecostalism then as a step up, do, do they? Or they see. No, I was just saying in my family, that's kind of okay, how the, gotcha. the intentionality was. Yep. We're going to do the basics gotcha. in the Southern Baptist Church, and then when we're when you're a little older and you know you kind of grow up, we'll go to the grow gotcha. up in the faith, so to yeah, speak. Yeah. We'll go to the Charismatic Church. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so I did that, and then um, I, I did that a lot. It was very like emotional. They they emphasize emotionality a lot, and I, I think that was helpful for me. But then as I got older, I realized I had uh, a penchant for just academia and I loved reading I loved all this stuff so when I was 16 I actually started going to a Presbyterian church uh, on my own yeah and got pretty involved there and became quite reformed in all of that and all its glory and so then went to I went to Liberty University yep and um, so Southern Baptist University and got into their philosophy department so that was interesting because I was kind of a dual outsider, which yeah. kind of led to a lot of questions. So yeah. not only was I reformed in a Baptist context, I was also studying philosophy in the school of religion. Um, so, which is like a nerdy way of saying those things don't always mesh up real well. Yeah. So yeah, we were asking a lot of questions. Here I am, like a 19 year old. I'm just asking questions because I'm reading all these books that yeah. have all these questions, and then. My, you know, other Bible professors would be like, mm, I'm not sure you should be asking that question. Yeah. <laughs> like, My other professors like, make me read this book. Yeah. So, 
Um, yeah, so a lot of questions introduced when you, I mean, philosophy is, is really the art of asking good questions. So yeah. lots of questions there. But then, uh, yeah, I would, say, I would say my deconstruction or just my, a lot of my questions came through philosophy and then graduated from there and went to Westminster yeah. a Seminary. And that's where it really, I think, started unraveling for me. Yeah. And the irony was, I, I, since I was about 13, um, as most 13-year-olds do, I wanted to be a professor of presuppositional apologetics. <laughs> since so you were how old? <laughs> since I was like 13. I didn't know yeah. what presupposition meant when I was 13. That's awesome. That's yeah, awesome. <laughs> so I wanted to get a PhD. That was like my goal, to go to that's Westminster, nice, yeah. which is like the mecca of presuppositional apologetics. And then I get my first day at Westminster, first week, and... All these professors in that department, I just, I mean, I just, uh, frankly, I thought they were just jerks. I, yeah. I, I mean, I just didn't think they were like nice people. Right. And not to like, you know, base your faith on that or whatever, but but, but for me, I was like, ah, I don't know. This is starting not to add up. Like, yeah. for me, it needs to look a little differently. And the, the Bible department at the time was just full of very gracious, like passionate people about the Bible and about justice and about um, community and how faith intersects with all that. Yeah. So I just I fell in love with the Bible. It's like, well, if I'm going to be at seminary, I think this is the crew I want to be around. And uh, Pete Enns was in that department yeah. and several others. And they really, whatever, you know, philosophy had me asking a lot of conceptual questions. That time at Westminster had me asking a lot of biblical questions. Yeah. And uh, unfortunately or fortunately, I guess, depending on how you looked at that, I was a pastor during that time as well. So um, I had my, my deconstruction was on full display. Yeah. Um, although I, I hit it really well. Yeah. I think during that time. Oh my gosh. There's so many, so many directions that I want to go, but I'll, do you remember those choose your own adventure books back? At, <laughs> yeah. Oh my gosh. So that's what I'm having to do right now. But all right. So let's, let's, let's hit two things before we move on. So what do you currently think about speaking in tongues at this juncture in your faith? Um, you know, that's a, that's actually, I haven't been asked that. I think, I mean, I, I think what I'm, I'm really passionate about is people finding authentic expressions of faith. Yeah. And, and not being jerks. I mean, yeah. I think that's kind of like, um, I, I often say that for me, the like the the walk of wisdom or the life of wisdom is finding that fine line between authenticity and assholery. Yeah. So that's kind of where trying to find that. So I I want to celebrate any expression of faith that I feel like is authentic and sincere and trying to lead um, a better life, and one that's helping you not be a jerk. So yeah. Um, so I have, I have no problem with it as far as that as far as that goes. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's interesting. Like, and I, this this may even sound like preposterous, but I've told people before that I, I have experiences, uh, like to this day where I'm thinking, nah, that seemed to have been kind of supernatural. But even as I'm speaking, I, I don't have like this hundred percent. Oh yeah, this is, this is, you know, totally God. And so I come away from the encounter, if you want to call it that, with the mentality of, I don't know for sure if it was God, but I don't feel like it had to be God for that to have benefited me in God's relationship, which I know sounds crazy to some people, but for me, it's kind of like if, if my wife and I have a really healthy relation or, or a healthy conversation for our relationship, um, that is a big win, even if it wasn't like a spiritually moving conversation. It still was 
helpful. So I feel like maybe there's times I'm speaking in or, or, or making noises and there's nothing spiritual, but the fact that I am focusing my thoughts on God and trying to connect with him seems like a good thing, but mm-hmm. I don't know. <laughs> Does that sound yep. crazy? No, no, not at all. I think that's, again, that's that, that seeking and that searching posture, which I think is really important. Yeah. So. Yeah. Gotcha. All right. So how, how about, how about reformed? Um, you know, I tell people that my, probably the struggle throughout my whole life was the prospect of so many people going to hell. And I remember being introduced to reformed theology, uh, predestination, all that. And that, about destroyed me i was like okay wait a second so you mean people are going to go to hell forever being tortured and you mean to tell me that some of these people had no choice in the matter that they you know never had an opportunity to choose otherwise so now i just feel you know what i'll i'll serve god if that's how things work like i i'm I'm not i can't choose what kind of god god is but i just so do not believe that way anymore like i just feel like if that's how God created everything, it just doesn't make a whole lot of sense for the concept of a personal God making things in a way where, yeah, I mean, only a few of you have a chance anyway. But what, what's your what's your deal on Reformed theology now? I love I love your nice smile at me. You're like, man, this dude's got some crazy ass questions. Such a nice guy. <laughs> no, I I mean, I think I would just answer it similarly. Like, I I. Th- there's so much i think it's we're we're all trying to build something to understand something that's bigger than ourselves yeah and i think certain personalities and certain bents and certain experiences lead us to build that in a certain way and and for me like reformed theology fits so nicely into like modern philosophy it helps you like it's logical Mm -hmm. you know when i read through francis turretin's three volume outline of systematic theology where it's it's you know Roman numeral one and sub point one and sub sub point one and like all the way down and he like explains God basically in this gigantic thousand page outline. Yeah, it, it that you know resonant. I really appreciated that because it helped to make sense of uh, a lot. It's, it was someone who was rigorous and was taking it really seriously. Right, and and so I uh, I appreciate that. I mean. A lot of predestination and stuff, even as I think about it, it's it comes from a, if you start with A, you get to Z. Like, it's the logical yeah. end point. Yeah. Um, and so, I, I respect that. Again, for me, it's whenever there's a cultural posture that gets embedded in the theology, where, you know, you become arrogant or you become uh, certain of certain things. Yeah. And uh, and I think that can that can creep into any belief system. Yeah. Um, even agnosticism and atheism and scientism and evangelicalism and, and, and reformed and charismatic, all of that yeah. can be uh, that whenever you tie the cultural uh, baggage to that, it can be detrimental. And that, that's more of what I'm after is how do we root out some of those cultural things that actually go across all belief systems and yeah. how do we talk about those and expose them for what they are so i, I have no problem really with uh reformed theology in itself yeah i and i don't have a lot of problem with reformed people uh, who who would subscribe to that i think there's there's some holes in it but yeah. i think there's holes in in every belief system oh, yeah. to be honest oh, yeah. it wouldn't require faith if if it weren't the yeah case. for sure when you think like rigorous study too, and I, I think that I'm I'm going through maybe uh, it, maybe it's lesser of the two evils, but it definitely seems to be a necessary step in my faith. Like I I spent 
most of my middle high school college years early adulthood um you know just constantly studying god's word and it's crazy to think of the different stages and how i was reading it and and all of that but just uh, you know i went through such a long period of time where i was trying to dissect everything and figure everything out and now i've been maybe in the last five years i've gone through a stage where i have no pressure on myself to continual continually pick the bible apart and almost like rest for a while in in the in the realm of thinking like okay there's just so much and there's so little that i know and after these three decades of studying it i feel like maybe i'm even a little more lost <laughs> than than i than i was uh beginning it so now now I'm kind of like in a stage of just, okay, I'm just asking questions. I'm just trying to figure things out. But when I embark back in like an intense study, um, so to speak, would it be healthy? Like where does it come into play that we are studying something captured by finite language that is supposed to be from an infinite God. So it's like, okay, we sit down to investigate God's truth, to figure out more about his love and theology and philosophy and all of that stuff. But at the same time, the realm in which, or the context in which we're looking at it through is, is human language. So, I mean, what, what should we do from just a responsibility level of approaching God's word, having that in mind? Yeah, it's interesting. I just want to point out some of the words you use, like if the point is to investigate or figure out. And yeah. I think that already kind of betrays a bias there. Yeah. I, the way I often talk about it is we make the mistake that thinking that our our role with the Bible is to understand it. Yeah. And I think it's actually to stand under it. Ah. Uh, and, and so it becomes, you know, I like this idea even too of... Uh, you know, we're not to read the Bible, we're to let the Bible read us. Or Brueggemann would talk about it as the Bible is a compost pile, right? Not meaning that it's garbage or rubbish, but that it is the it is the decomposed, rich material out of which beautiful things can grow. So it's a much more dynamic process. It's an event. It's a relationship and it's an experience, not an investigation. And I think where a lot of theology, for me, falls short is... It approaches the Bible in this scientific endeavor, investigate, figure out, understand, which for me is part of a narrative that started in, in modern uh, the modern era, the Enlightenment of yeah. control. We're trying to control the text because to understand, right, knowledge is power. So the more I know, the more I can control, the more I understand. But it's actually this existential experience of standing under and being yeah. in relationship that, I, that I'm after in that. And so, you know, when you talked about your experience where you kind of feel like you're just hitting your head against the wall after a while with the Bible. And it was yeah. interesting. I had um, this uh, Euripides Eureka moment uh, where when I was a pastor, I stopped reading the Bible because I just figured out that the way I was reading the Bible, no matter how many times I picked it up, I was just going to always read it the same way because yeah. that's the only way I knew. So I just had to stop. So I just put the Bible down for a few years and didn't read it at all except to prep sermons and when I had to and, and that sort of thing. And the, the interesting thing for me was during that time, I started reading, with, I didn't mean to do this, it wasn't intentional, but I started reading things about how language works yeah. and how books work and how culture works. 
And just because I was interested in it. So reading, you know, Ferdinand de Saussure on linguistics or reading Jacques Derrida or reading um, these other writers, um, Gadamer and, and all these guys. And I come back to it a few years later and now I have a different structure. Yeah. I have a different understanding how, of how words work and how books work and how language works. And now I, I just come at it from a completely different perspective. And so I think it's not a matter of, if we are going to talk about studying it, I think it's not a matter of studying the words, but studying the structures. And I think that's, it, it can be difficult for some people. I don't think, it took me a long time to understand what I even meant by that. Yeah. Um, I used to have friends I would say that to, and they'd have no idea what I was talking about because I didn't have any idea what I was talking about. I was just kind of like feeling my way. Um, so anyway, I think those two things are really important. One is perhaps the whole endeavor of understanding it is misguided. Yeah. Uh, and maybe we need to be standing under it. And, and let, me, let, me, let me ask you something yeah. about that. Just, just and, and feel free to shift the example to a different example if this doesn't help. But like, so let's just take... And I may not even say his name right, but in in the line of Melchizedek, is that how you say it? Like in in oh, Melchizedek, yeah, Melchizedek. Mm-hmm. So in in Hebrews, how? So if I'm trying to figure that out and reading cross references and commentaries and like, oh, what? Who who is this? What is this a real person? Is this Jesus in the Old Testament? What what's going on here? How would I stand under that as opposed to figure it out, dissect? And, and like I said, maybe that's a bad example. I'm just trying to understand. No, no. I mean, I don't think they're opposed. I think that it's a matter of prioritization, okay. right? So the way you were describing it was um, kind of to say, well, where do we go from here where we, we've kind of, we've exhausted that, where we've, we've we're, you know, where do we just say we're, we're never going to figure it all out? And... I think that that's a, a two-dimensional kind of understanding Yeah, um, that, that you can still go for. That's fine. But I, I think of uh, the writer, uh, the 19th century philosopher uh, Soren Kierkegaard, who uh, basically says, you want to uh, distance yourself from God. The best way to do it is to lock yourself in a room and get out 10 commentaries and ask the question, what does this really mean? How do you actually <laughs> live this out? Right. And so he says all these questions we use to excuse ourselves from the plain reading that sometimes is just there. Love your neighbor as yourself. Yeah. Um, that's a lifetime of lived experience, right? So why spend your why spend your three hours locked in a room trying to figure out what the line of Melchizedek means right. when perhaps your time is better spent living out a life of figuring out how to love your neighbor and, and stumbling through that. Um, so it's not an either or. It's yeah. just making sure that we're prioritizing um, and our, checking our own motives, like why do I want to understand? Why do I want to know the line of Melchizedek? Is it going to make a difference in how I experience life or how I experience God? Yeah. Uh, and just being careful that we don't run into that easy idolatry uh, of trying to control the text um, and trying to control God through understanding the Bible. Dang, that's good stuff, man. Like when you were... Uh, you know, asking questions that maybe you never thought that you would ask and, um, you know, going down a path of, of recognizing, yeah, and, and there's no turning back. Like, how much of, a, of an impact did, did fear play in it? I know for me it was a huge part of it, and I, and I think that I hear that from a lot of listeners. Like it's very scary territory. Once the 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 big things that you've believed, once they start going away, it's like, okay, well, what's going to happen to my whole foundation? I don't want to let go of everything. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, you know, I'm trying to remember back to those times, which would have been about 10 years ago or so now. And I mean, I don't remember ever being, uh, there, that's not true. There were definitely some sleepless nights um, that for me, I think the fear manifested more in an, in an anxiety, uh, a, a uh, constant questioning. I yeah. just remember lots and lots of questions um, and finding out that I couldn't necessarily answer those questions. Um, and that's actually where my faith journey took a turn was I ran through that period rather quickly, I think, yeah. and into... Yeah. Well, hold on a second. Um, it, you know, my faith may be unfounded, but I—if that's true—I think I think most things are unfounded. And so I became an avid questioner. Uh, I became an agnostic about everything. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's again, maybe something a little unique for me is uh, my my agnosticism in that sense kind of runs rampant through everything. Um, so I get to annoy my atheist friends just as much as, as my, <laughs> my evangelical friends um, to say, well, what, what are we basing that on? And, and again, philosophy, uh, I was no stranger to just how to, how to question things to death, really. Yeah. Um, but yeah, as far as the, the fear, I think it was, there was a time, but I think it was really practical for me yeah. because I didn't have time to have like an existential fear. I had three, I had three really little kids. Um, so I had three kids that were three and under at yeah. the time and I mean, my paycheck depended on my belief system. Right. So there's something really, there's, there's something terrifying about that. Yeah. So yeah, I was sure. thinking about that more than just like my soul. I was thinking about like food and clothing, that yeah. sort of thing. Yeah. So if, if someone from, I don't, and you know, throw, I'll throw a decade out there. If someone from your life, um, it's especially someone who was up close and personal to your spiritual journey and community and all of that. If they were to see you now having, uh, not really been able to interact with you in the last 10 years, how would you describe to them the, the main difference, uh, in your approach to life and spirituality at this point, as opposed to when they knew you? Yeah, that's a good question. I think, you know, it's funny that to me, Probably one of the driving factors of my faith, how I think about faith, came about because I realized if I just stopped believing all this stuff, I bet my life wouldn't actually change almost at all. Yeah. Um, and so I tried it like one belief at a time, and sure <laughs> enough, it like didn't. It didn't change. Were there any, were there any things that you're like, well, I guess if I don't believe that's wrong, I'll just do that. Like, were there any small things that you're like, eh, I don't really care about trying not to do that. No, no. And, and, and honestly, I had already kind of gone through that a yeah. little bit where it was like, well, if I, if I'm like not sinning just because of some prohibition in a book, right? I think that's actually about, um, lacking like lacking moral character. I think that's kind of, it's not an inner transformation. And actually the first, the second thing I ever published was in a relevant magazine in like, I don't even remember that was like 2007 or something, six. And it was that, it was that I learned this lesson when my, my family had gone out of town and I became this like lazy, like unforgivable slob when they had gone out of town. And I'd used to be like so (laughs) self-disciplined and, uh, 
and I was like so self-disciplined. I'd like had a, a rigorous schedule in high school of like during the summers I had like piano lessons and I'd, from no one else but just me. Yeah. And then, uh, you know, I had a family now and they kind of like, they were that external force that made me behave, right? Yeah. Like they made me behave in a certain way. I had to get up at six in the morning because I had a two-year-old who got up every morning at six. So what I was kind of atrophying those muscles on the inside, that willpower was atrophying because I didn't need to use it. It was all externally forced on me. Yeah. And so I had this kind of light bulb moment of like how we do that with morality and how the Bible becomes that or how God or whatever external forces where we don't, we don't have to practice. So the example I use was, um, yeah, I don't, you know, I don't cheat on my wife because uh, I have this external authority, like a fear of getting caught or something. Right. Um, and so if that fear goes away, like, oh, I could certainly get away with it here. Um, I, if I haven't built that that muscle, that moral character, then uh, then it's it's really bankrupt. So I kind of had that early on, and um, and so yeah, that's been the journey I've been on ever since. Is to say, oh well, maybe God wants us to, uh, you know, I often say maybe God doesn't give us a firm foundation. Maybe God uh, asks us to co-create it. Yeah. And so um, yeah, so that's the journey I've been on. I think. What what does that mean? Tell tell me that a little bit deeper as far as co-creating a foundation. Well, uh, so hmm, I think the faith I grew up with was very. Uh, here's a structure for you, yeah, to help you live your life in a better way, and it was all external. So the Bible kind of tells me, and I just—it's an external authority. That's—that's—I think let's let's go with that. I think that's what I mean. Yeah. Is this a journey from uh, spirituality being an external authority to being an internal authority? Gotcha. Yeah. Gotcha. Yeah, that makes sense. So what, like at this point, why haven't you just totally? Um, and and I've picked up pieces of this with with some of the stuff you're saying, but why haven't you totally turned your back on things altogether? Like, what are what are the main things? Whether life experiences, tradition, um, little things here and there that have happened that in your mind are miracles. But what are the what are the stuff that keep you grounded at this point in in a Christian faith? Yeah, I think tradition for sure. Which again is ironic because I grew up in a tradition that actually said it didn't have a tradition and yeah. thought tradition was bad you know like uh catholics aren't real christians because they have tradition and that's what they rely on yeah like uh, yeah you kind of do too um but but i would say more practice-based tradition for me so my wife has helped a lot with that um yeah. where uh, my, my faith is not based on what i believe it's based on what i practice yeah um so and, and that that's was important to me because as a philosopher I was I was trained to entertain thoughts without adhering to them like yeah um, so I can think lots of thoughts and have kind of a neutral emotional position toward them um, so if it's about like entertaining different beliefs I'm in trouble like I'll be washed to and fro um, uh, to and fro I mean. Uh, so with every wind of doctrine, so to speak, as Paul would say. So for me, it was about grounding it in in ritual and practice in, a, yeah. in like a real bodily way. So we practice Sukkot and we build a, a sukkah every year and we invite neighbors over and we read uh, we read scripture about welcoming the refugee and the foreigner and and we practice those things. And that that's that's my faith. Like I, I show up, I yeah. show up every Sunday to my congregation and. Um, so I, I think that's one. And then 
I would say, ritual and practice, which is deeply tied to the second thing, and that's choice. Yeah. And I think that's hard for people sometimes, but like, no, 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 what, like, what experience or what proof do you have that leads you to Christianity? And I would say none. It's yeah. just, it's choice. So, and that's true for me, and I think a lot of people have other experiences, and I think that's wonderful. Um, but for me, it's it's choice. Yeah. Like, why am I a Christian? Because I, because I choose to be. Yeah. So. And you choose to be because you feel like there's a pretty good chance that's a that's a, a good choice for Jared Bias, like here in mm-hmm. 2018, like or like or yeah, I, it's, think it's, I mean, it's, it's not any meeny miny mo. Yeah, no, no. I think it's for me. It's the framework that best leads to the life that I imagine um, a fulfilling life looking like. Gotcha, gotcha. So, yeah, and how, Which probably is because I was raised Christian. Yeah, I guess too. Yeah. In, in general, how at peace would you say you are? Just in, uh, in in general, when it comes to spirituality and and how you live your life, how you uh, balance the tension between condemnation and guilt and freedom and and all of that. I'm. I think I'm. I'm very much at peace. I've been very intentional about um, the guy I mentioned earlier, Kierkegaard. He uh-huh. has a. He has this quote which says, "Purity of heart is to will one thing," and the the whole point of that is, and and James speaks of this too, and so does Jesus about being double double hearted or double mouthed or double minded, and I, I realized a long time ago that a lot of lack of peace and a lot of turmoil and a lot of pain for me yeah. came from being divided. Gotcha. In myself, gotcha. um, and so re- wrestling with those demons and sort of having that Jacobean wrestling with God experience um, was is really important to me. So when I feel divided, I, I have to sort of wrestle that down, and we we go at it. We 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 uh, we'll go we'll tussle that out until yeah. um, I can feel like I'm I'm undivided, and it's never perfect for yeah. sure. So a life of peace, I'm not no Zen master by any means, but yeah. Um, but I have a pretty good vision for for the life I feel like uh, I, I want to live, and uh, and it comes from me, from within me. Yeah. Um, I'm not pressured into that. I'm not. I don't have peer pressure into those things, which is a little naive to say because I think we all do. Um, but but where I am, I feel I feel at peace. Um, I feel at peace. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. What are the um, all right, so I'm sitting, you're going to be like, gum, these are some random places, but I'm kind of wrapping this up, but I've got a bunch of random questions that I want to ask you. This has actually been pretty good. Hopefully we can free up some time for you to come again, man. Um, yeah. so what are, do you think about the afterlife? Um, because I, I talk to people that never think about it and they're Christians you know, people that think about it all the time and they're, they're not religious at all or just whatever the case, it's just crazy how people are made because I happen to think about it a lot. My wife does not. <laughs> but you personally, like, do you feel like, I think I, I can kind of take some good guesses at what things are going to be like forever? Or do you, uh, I mean, do you throw your hands up in the air? Like, I mean, for all I know, lights may go out for good. I I have no idea and I don't even care. Like, Mm -hmm. yeah, I mean, that's, uh, I think that's probably actually a big part of my journey. Yeah. Um, My personality is such, and and I have one son that's this way and it's, it's been really sweet and it's been fun, fun in a, I would say more tender way to see him, but when I was a kid, I was, I was so sad about death. Yeah, 
I was a very sad, like I, I remember I would just be weeping in my bed at nights when I thought about it. And play, I thought about death a lot. I would play through it. And I think it is, like you said, it's a personality thing. I think yeah. some people are just built that way. But yeah, imagining what my parents dying or my siblings dying and and just like sitting in that despair, even yeah. as an eight-year-old or a nine-year-old. So that, that really propelled me. Um, so that personality probably adjourned toward philosophy, where we talk about death a lot. Um, but yeah, so so I'd say that's been a big part of my life is thinking through death. And as someone who really likes control, so I'm an eight on the Enneagram. Yeah. So I, I love to control. I think I can control everything. Um, it was like baffling to a young mind to think that every night I thought about death and never did I come up with a solution. Yeah. There was like, no. Nope. Even this, even as a as a committed Christian, you still got to go through the death part. Yeah, <laughs> um, and there's really no way of knowing what's going to happen at the other side of this. Right. So I took a lot of solace in um, reading through, you know, with some scholars' help, seeing that the the Hebrew Bible actually doesn't have a, a robust understanding of the afterlife at all. And and yeah. you read Kohelet in Ecclesiastes, who's like, who knows? Who knows if the souls of men go up and the souls of animals go down. Maybe we all just die and that's it. Um, And so it gave me a place for those questions. And so for me, I feel like I don't miss anything by, uh, by not speculating about the afterlife for all I know it's the end. Um, But I'm, I'm kind of with Kohelet that says, Hey, at the end of the day, what does it matter? Make your choice, like serve God and serve God regardless of whether there's this like paradise at the end or nothing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, but I would say it took me many years to kind of work through that and become comfortable with that. Yeah, yeah, definitely. It's is this more of a philosophical question or a theological question? But and and throw throw out of the window for a second what you believe about this, and is it a problematic notion of of God condemning uh, the majority of human beings to uh, eternal conscious torment? Um, is that is that a philosophical question whether or not that's problematic or is that theological or both or do they overlap or what yeah I, I think they probably overlap because okay. it's, it's really about ethics and morality as well as yeah. theology so yeah. it's sort of the uh, it's sort of the ethics of God right yeah. um, so Plato writes about this like 2,000 years well not 2,000 years what three, 400 years before Jesus um, 2,000 years ago uh, in Euthyphro the dialogue with Euthyphro and um, yeah, I mean, I would say it is. It's, it is problematic, for yeah. sure. Um, you know, the yeah, I mean, I don't know what else to say other than um, we, we run into this problem. So the reason I bring up Euthyphro is he, yeah. he, he throws out this problem, like, are things good because God says it, or does God say it because it's good? Right. And so you, get, you run into this problem. It's a dilemma. Um, so which one's prior? Is there this notion of good, and we all understand it, and that's why God calls it good? Uh, because it's this universal norm. Um, the problem with that is then that thing becomes God, right? It's prior to God. Like right. good is bigger than God. So right. God just kind of enters the scene. He's like, yeah, that's good. We all know it because good's bigger than me. Um, or we have a capricious God. It's just arbitrary. God is just, good is just whatever God says. Yeah. So if God had said, yeah, murdering babies, that's great. We'll call that good. Then we would just say, that, okay, that's good. Now, uh, now could, it, could it be like intricately intertwined with just his eternal nature to begin with like if if everything kind of came from the same place does that yeah, make I sense that's i think that's the i would say that's kind of the probably the classic apologetic answer to yeah. that i don't 
frankly, I mean, maybe I'm just not smart enough to understand it, but I don't actually know what that means when people say that. Gotcha. Um, like, I don't, I get it because that's how I would have answered it, but I don't actually know what, how that solves the problem. Gotcha. Um, so, so maybe, yeah, yeah, maybe I'm just not smart enough and that's very well might be. Um, but, but for me, yeah, I think it is problematic. And I think I, what I often say is from an experiential level, right? Yeah. So all I can do is go off of kind of what I see and what I experience. Right. And what I see and experience is humans. And I wouldn't be okay with humans torturing eternally anyone right. uh, consciously. Uh, so that's kind of all I have to go on. Right. Um, so what, do you, so, what yeah. do you say to someone that says, oh, well uh nice of you to try to play god like why don't why don't you take your place and be a human being and you know realize that his thoughts and ways are higher than yours yeah a little isaiah 55 yeah yeah, and i think that's i think everyone has that prerogative because at the end of the day i think most religious traditions have to get there at some point yeah it's not about conscious eternal torment it's about theodicy and why god allow bad things to happen or at some point, I think every religious system gets to that point where they throw their hands up and say, well, yeah. God's bigger than us. Yeah. And so we have to make choices on when we're okay with that as a cop-out and when we're not. Yeah. Um, and it, I think that's an ethical choice. Yeah, and it just seems like at, 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 at some point we have to come to grips with whether or not we are okay with certain things but it just seems like for me too if if we're made in god's image in certain ways it seems like maybe we should pay attention to the times when something's like whoa whoa, whoa that doesn't really sit well like it, I, I, and i guess i'm really frustrated with people that just write it off as oh yeah well you're a human you can't understand why god would send all those people it's like well wait a second i'm a human but he made me can't i embrace some of this stuff that's making me feel bad right now like do i have to resist that because that's like some sort of a sinful thing to have these questions or can i really rest in this stuff and be like well wait a second let me let me pay attention to some of this sort of thing so yeah well and i think i would just go beyond that surface and and often what i find is people are either want to be in control um and so when you push back it's not really um, as pious as it sounds, it's sort of like, well, how dare you question me? Yeah. Uh, or um, people are afraid. Yeah. And so you 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 take that block out of their faith, and then it starts to crumble. And so I always want to be empathetic to mm-hmm. people in that way. I, I would say I would always, m- me personally, I tend to want to be empathetic to those people. Yeah. I'm not interested in tearing down people's faith. I mean, I'm not at all interested in that. I don't want right. to be that guy. Um, but if you're using that to lord it over people and stay in control in, a, in an unhealthy way, I'll absolutely go after that. Yeah. Um, so again, because it's for me, it's about the ethics underneath the belief system, and so um, if it's about abuse and about control and about power, um, and that's why you're holding it or why you're coming at someone and telling them they have to believe it, right? Um, then I'll resist that all day. Yeah. But if it's my, you know, my great grandmother sitting in the pew and she's living out a life of Jesus and has this belief that lots of people are going to go to hell one day, um, and she's going to just have that belief, and I don't, yeah, you know, I don't necessarily think it's my place to sort of argue it out of her. And I learned that the hard way of like being an arrogant 
22-year-old pastor full of piss and vinegar right. telling these saints in the faith what they need to believe and just like either making them hate me or rocking their faith in a way that was just so inappropriate for right. me to be doing. Right, so. right. That's got to be a sobering thought, man. I was I was a school teacher at 22, so I don't have to have all those regrets. I can just be like, well, I screwed them up in science. You know, they <laughs> they don't have photosynthesis straightened out yet. But, man, you, <laughs> dude, this has been awesome, man. It really has uh, been been great uh, talking to you face-to-face. And, golly, I, I, I got to listen to this one again because sometimes when I'm interviewing, I'm thinking about other stuff I need to be asking you and having a hard time really syncing. So this is really good stuff, man. I appreciate it. Um, so if you have not checked out the Bible for normal people, people, you got to do that. And then what are some stuff that you are doing, Jared? Are you got a, a blog or just things that, you know, Twitter, where, where can people follow you, some of your thoughts? Yeah, so I, yeah, Twitter is at jbias and Facebook. I have an author page going up. Um, as a, I'm working on a book about truth uh, right awesome. now, so um, so little pieces will be coming out about that as I continue to, to go down that path. But right now, Twitter, Facebook, um, and the podcast for sure. Awesome, thanks, man. Have a good rest right, of the thank night. Thank you.